Welcome to Gloom Guide. I'm Random Wolf, and I'm joined by my best friend and often horror, mystery, and myth collaborator, Inkgul. Um, today, I want to tackle and talk about what in monsters attracts us to them. What, why are they our favorites? How do they? How do we identify with them? What makes them a part of our culture? And I guess to begin, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and it's cool to see that there's some content being made. I'm excited, and I'm happy to be here. I can feel that. I can feel it in your enthusiasm. Uh, Ingle is known to uh, to run through walls, and no, like that's me. Um, no, man, uh, incredibly glad to have you. It, it's it's as I said in my first episode, and so many times over the years, and driving you crazy. I've loved the idea of a community uh, of people who can come together and share what they love about this space because I feel so many of us are naturally a little bit more introverted about our passion is or if anything cannot find people to share that passion with safely without feeling judged or just completely annoyed by people's lack of investment yeah I mean it's I think it's a community that's you know full of wonderful great people I've been a part of it for as long as I can remember I I love seeing old fans, new fans, everyone just come together and I'm excited to see where things go. Well, no, and there's a lot of things that I want to dive into over other future episodes and things that we've talked about so many times about the things we love about myths and campfire stories, even the way it feels just driving in a car, talking with a friend about the what ifs or the things that we've seen or going to a movie with you, myself and my wife watching Evil Dead 10 years ago and having having her petrified, even though she loves fiction and monsters and other media, but just those kind of memories of the depths of where horror can make us laugh the whole time while she's absolutely losing her shit. So I think it, I think it may have been one of the best birthday gifts I could have. Cause I knew she was not going to like it whatsoever. I knew it. And I feel a tad bit guilty, but it was my birthday and I was going to watch the evil dead. No, absolutely. And it was, it was a good watch and I'm, Kind of like I said uh, in Twitter today, I'm kind of feeling like the itch to go back to it before seeing, seeing Evil Dead rise. But to uh, to get things kicked off, I sent you these questions not knowing that, that I was hoping and I was able to get you on to the show. Uh, in the future, guys, I, I really like the idea of, of having us both on um, as often as possible in both video format. But Inkle was very gracious in joining me without really any notice at all to do this on audio, and I really appreciate it. But he did answer the questions, but I think we'll be able to get deeper. So the first question I asked Inkle today is, what monster, cryptid, creature, et cetera, et cetera, was your favorite growing up? Well, there was really no doubt about it. I didn't really have to hesitate or think about this one. And anyone that knows me... uh, I grew up in the, North, the Pacific Northwest, all over the West Coast, and I got to go with my boy, big old, good old Bigfoot. I mean, it's been a part of, you know, extended family discussions, whether we're talking stories right, right. from my great uncles, uh, you know, one of my favorite things, I, I, I mean, I even remember a specific road trip where my brothers are passed out in the back of a vehicle, my dad's driving, my mom's sleeping. And we're both just sitting there listening to the radio with old coast to coast, our, our art bell, just mm-hmm. having callers, you know, give the call in and they're talking about their various, you know, encounters or stories they've heard of this creature. So as a kid, I was just glued and it's, it's, I've, I've loved it since it's, it was, you know, my gateway drug, I guess. 
on on for me that's always like in our friendship been interesting one i wonder if it was my hairy back and shoulders that made us such friends because of your love for a hairy cryptid like bigfoot but also possible <laughs> yeah i mean if anything it gives you something to hold on to while we do piggyback rides as best friends but beside the point um, realistically though, for me, it was interesting because most of my gateway to Bigfoot was not actual Bigfoot. It was like movies like Harry and Henderson's when I was a kid, um, which, you know, is kind of Bigfoot adjacent to those who are not aware of that. And definitely a comedy, not, not, but not horror or mystery or anything like that by any stretch, but a, uh, a real classic in the, uh, the annals of Sasquatch media. Oh, fantastic. I mean, when, when I see the gifts and things still now, it brings a smile to my face. But, you know, I, I didn't have a relationship with Bigfoot. I mean, you being kind of you know, up spending most of your life exclusively um, around largely the uh, Pacific Northwest, it it seems like that makes sense for you. For me, I, you know, most of what was here in local, like central Texas, small town folklore wasn't big enough to capture the interest the same way. So for me, a, a lot of mine was embarrassingly enough to say is my last name is Wolf. So, yeah, like werewolves and things and and like anthropy was so interesting to me. So. Like, like that was my attachment. It was like, my name is Brandon Wolf. Last name is Wolf. Where Wolf? You hear that? Can I'm like, hear that? I'm like, wait, oh, oh, wait, that's not how you howl. No, 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 no. But maybe later. Um, no, it, it, it's funny. I wish I, I mean, as much as I love to think of myself as a creative guy, as a kid, I mean, sometimes the simplest explanations, name association things, filling out. Am I a werewolf? I come from a hairy people. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those things. So for me, that was one of my big, big buy-ins to, to it all. And I mean, there were so many other things that are much, much more into like movies, myths, and like even video game, like creatures and stuff that kind of captured my interest. But I guess I got to ask you though, Bigfoot being your, your childhood one is, is Bigfoot the same one as, as, is Bigfoot the same as it was then as it is now, or have you kind of transitioned to other interests more? Well, the big old hairy missing link definitely still holds a place in my heart, <laughs> but I really wouldn't consider him my favorite anymore. Wait, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry, to inter- I'm sorry to interject. Big old hairy missing link. Is that like one of the Zelda sequels coming out or? Uh, yeah, actually it's the, uh, did it change to tears of the kingdom? It's the big old hairy missing link. I mean, to me, this sounds like the same thing, but but sorry, sorry, but no, sorry to interrupt. You were saying though, uh, as far as the changing of the pecking order, the big old hairy missing link and (laughs) (laughs) so, well, so, you know, this, you know, my time in the military, I I was rarely, you know, sleeping very well. So oftentimes I spent a lot of time on the internet and that's actually the first time I had heard of, and I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of people, but the Skinwalker, mm-hmm. the uh, legacy of the Skinwalker. And I was hooked right off the bat. It's just this something about it. There's this air of mystery about them, you know, whether it's like the native populations or the stories that come from, you know, the depths of the internet. There's just this allure of something very dangerous very mysterious something that shouldn't be talking about something forbidden and i think that just air of mystery hooked me from day one well okay so that 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 kind of piques my interest though so i mean obviously like skinwalkers or things we have talked about but 
what I have been wondering about when you're speaking about this is what was it? Was it that there's the Native American tie and other things that maybe give it more weight and realism to you that makes it a little bit more intriguing or worrisome? Or I'm wondering what what, what binds this because there are some very interesting, say, fantasy creatures and cryptids and things that maybe feel more far fetched and unrealistic that maybe aren't as scary because of that. But something like a skinwalker that has a little bit more rooted things into other lore. I was wondering if that has. Yeah. I think it's more grounded in kind of this weird there. There's feel like there's stakes with a skinwalker. Like Bigfoot is kind of goofy. I mean, it could be very serious. But there is something so real, so primal about skinwalkers. There is like this hint of what if it's actually real. Mm-hmm. Oh no. And, and yeah, I can't, you know, I can't say whether it is or not, but it just, Oh man. Well, no. And, and I think, so pre- I, I think presentation is an interesting thing because Bigfoot, even if Bigfoot was for all we know, Bigfoot, if, if both existed could be the more dangerous of the two, but Bigfoot is captured in such a more like meandering through the forest, kind of chill, kind of <laughs> like, like he maybe found some mushrooms and was just wandering on a good stroll, getting interrupted by some random like vacationers and hikers versus uh, the stories we get from skinwalkers often are horrifying as fuck. And so, yes, uh, Okay, so I definitely there. So I so so in this, it's um this feeling I have is which monster do you identify with most? So you have ones that you've had interest in. Like I'm I'm, I'm assuming in our base of our friendship that I'd be very alarmed if you associate and identify with skinwalkers. So uh, I'm just kind of curious. Though when I did ask this question, you had an interesting first tease answer, but oh, so I had to really really think about this one because I've never really been posed that question what of the you know a creature from mythology or something Mm -hmm. from legend or folklore really struck home with me and so i i have a soft spot for japanese yokai Mm -hmm. i've Mm -hmm. i've always found them interesting they're oddball they're scary they're a little bit of everything there's a wide range to them and uh, i did uh, Oh, what did I tell you? I you told me about the Tanuki. About the tanuki. And, for, wait, wait, and wait, 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 before we move on from what, like transitioning from the Tanuki, would you like to inform our audience on what the Tanuki is? So for those of you unfamiliar with the Tanuki, kind of a playful spirit, a raccoon humanoid. Gregarious with, as fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, charming, lovely, little playful. A little mischievous with gigantic balls and with huge, massive, hairy nuts, vastly massive, malleable nuts. I'm talking about you got a cape out of your nut skin. You want a little shelter with your nuts. I mean, look, like, like, you know, the, the immaturity I want to have about this aside, I mean, the utility of powerful, massive nuts and, and very malleable skin and things. I mean, where can you go wrong from as far as that? But that wasn't your official answer, I don't believe. It was not. So I, I stayed with the, the yokai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one that I didn't defy with quite well because it's a problem I have. You know me. I'm always hungry. I'm always you, looking you for You and food. me both, brother. I'm always scrounging. So there's actually a yokai called the Kawaii. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Not to be confused. Not to be confused with Kawaii. Not Kawaii, because it's anything but cute. Just basically a spirit that after death gives into its hunger, essentially terrorizing at night, going to food stalls, getting whatever he can get his hands on because he's so hungry. And as someone who's raided the fridge many times at night, I get it. I really get it. And I feel like if there's anything I identify with, it's this guy here. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, there's... There, it's interesting to see how different cultures attach to uh, it's their various monsters myth, in this case, uh, the Japanese yokai. Um, because I feel like so many others outside of... Uh, I feel like almost like Western culture is kind of lazy with this in different ways versus... Uh, if you get to bigger mythologies across like things throughout history, especially in J- Japan, when you, you you're talking about literally a yokai who we're talking about, it, you know, it's con- you know the concern is eating, haunt food stall. Like this is very, they're, they're, I would say Japan, the Japanese are one of the leaders in niche monsters and cryptids and mo- like things that uh, there's there's like, a lot of other. Co- oh, go ahead. It's a legit spectrum of creatures. You have these terrifying giant skeletons. You have these living umbrellas. You have little duck lizard guys that love cucumbers. It's it's all over the board. It's just such a I don't want to say untapped, but it's just so fun. Well, and, you know, and, and for me, like again, I didn't really answer if mine had changed or not or what I identify with, because quite frankly, I, I I'm a consistent line through most of these types of things in life. Uh, there's various forms and things, but I still maintain an interest and kinship with lichens. And, and it's, and it's ironic because yes, my last name is Wolf as we've established, but part of it is like a cultural thing where for me, you know, my family history and my lack of connection to my actual, to to, to my biological family as much, but Mm -hmm. you and I've been close and you are my brother and people that I, the, the people who are in my pack, so to speak, I have an obsession and investment and a want to, to protect and to lead and to guide. Like, so like to me, there's this wolf pack mentality, lichen kind of things. When I even think of Lucian from uh, the underworld series and his devotion to his, to his kin and like those kind of things, like there is, there is something I'm much more interested in that than the typical Wolfman curse versus those who have more, uh, more viable control over their lycanthropy. I've never been like, like in the big fan of, I mean, the movies I enjoy, but as far as my own identity and my own passion for it, it's, it's more into the, these are creatures. These are wares who, ch- who are shifters of sorts who do have most outside of certain circumstances have power, like positive control over their condition and how they use it and leverage it. But I also like the idea that they can walk among humans, but also some choose to walk the path of, of staying in, in their in their wolf form at, at all times. And definitely, mm-hmm. and I like the bipedal, more bestial looking wolves. I, I actually enjoyed the underworld one somewhat compared to say Twilight, where it's just like a big ass dire wolf calling itself a were, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got its own little vibes to it, and I, I can get with it. But yeah, it's it's the bipedal, bestial, intimidating creature that I've come to love throughout media over the years just can't go wrong without so this one was a little more difficult for you to to completely pinpoint it's and i think it's it's good that we have you here more orally so you can share and if but it's uh if you were yourself to become a monster from fantasy horror myths various legend i mean it doesn't have to be even like true horror it can be something from arthurian legend if you wanted but 
if you were to actually live the life or be the being from one of those spaces, switch places with however you want to, to approximate it, what would you pick? Oh, so yeah, that's, you know, that's horror movies, myth, fantasy. There's so much to choose from. And it, I had a really tough time narrowing it down. And I kind of feel like I'm cheating with this answer because it's kind of, <laughs> again, I'm casting a wide net here, but I don't know. I've always been this, the fae, like absolutely in love with like the traditional fae, fairies, that kind of stuff. Well, there's all the cool stuff I, in the fae wilds. So yeah. I think it's cool. You know, I mean, if you want to consider like satyrs and stuff, you know, <laughs> of course I'm that joke. Of course I was, gonna, I, I was waiting for this and you took it from me. So go ahead, please. No, no. Continue. Oh. Satyr boy. Oh, I will be the satyr boy. But, you know, I like a little magic, some mischief. And I'm, I do like to go out in nature. I just got back from surviving out in the woods for a, a night. And that's another story for another time. But I just, you know, like being out there. And I've always been fascinated by this family of, you know, fantasy creatures. Oh, no. I mean, I, de I definitely think of Puck and all the personal pen jokes and satyr jokes that we've had over the uh, over the years. Um, again, you and I are come from a hairy people. So imagine. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, are. even if you do the no pants dance, you're not getting arrested. People aren't going to think just thinking you're wearing sweater on your legs. But That's uh, right. <laughs> regardless, though, uh, no, there, there is something like with that and some especially in, in those kind of different myths and things and and. The culture that comes around the Feywilds is really fascinating. For me, though, um, I, I wrestle with a few a, a few different more like different ones, but some of the ones I it kind of ties to what I what I would identify with if I didn't give the like an answer, but also probably what I would choose to be because it's kind of it's contrary to my talk about like investing in the pack. But you know that I'm a very solitude enjoying guy. Like I like purposeful connection, but I like to be left alone a lot. So for me, mm -hmm. me, I, I, I gotta say like some former dragon, there's the idea of being upon my horde and being wise, being full of knowledge. I do like a lot of things much like lycanthropy where there are a lot of uh, legends where dragons can take on a human form too, when they want to walk around people and not be so easily hunted and sought after. Um, even going to uh, Raymond Feist books actually is Midkemia books. You, you even have like, like like the Valharu, which are like dragon riding people, but their dragons actually can take on a human visage, which I like. I thought was always interesting. Like I can get the things that I would probably miss, like because we're talking about switching, not being born as. Uh, so mm. like the idea of switching place and having some of the in, in, in inherent things that make me human, but still, I can still enjoy while still being eternally living, being being one of knowledge, being older than you know existence in a lot of ways. From depending on the dragon lore. I did find a lot of them interesting and, and not necessarily your fire breathing typical fare. I'm sure that in my mind, I'd want something, you know, unique because I have to, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you got your hoard of gold and the gold being the friends you made all along your tight little circle of us. Absolutely. So in transitioning to some things that I just kind of picked up from just like some notes from the internet, I thought it was interesting to just ask sometimes these generic questions like that, that some of the ones that we post today and what, like, even like, what is your favorite monster or whatever? And, Oddly enough, when I was looking at Quora in different places, there's a lot of, I don't know if you've been on Quora in recent times, but there's like kind of an AI component to it where it tries to answer questions for you. Mm -hmm. Sage. Yeah, I haven't been on in a while, but yeah, the, that's, that's fascinating. So Sage goes, this is a subjective question as it depends on personal opinions. However, some of the most iconic monsters in fiction include, and I go, Dracula from Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula. Um, okay. Frank, Frank, yeah, absolutely. Frankenstein's monster from Mary Shelley's 1818 novel, Frankenstein. 
love Frankenstein. King Kong. I, the idea of a a monster, just a misunderstood monster. Well, and, and you Who know, is the real monster. Well, and, and, and a lot of the uh, creepypastas and other things I've been narrating and other things I've enjoyed. To me, it's often like I, I fixate on that the, the, the humanity that is mo- that are monsters, and how often we look at monsters because they're unknown as monsters. But like in this case, this is conf- this, this is this this creature is not a monster. They're they're basically a toddler or an infant with immense strength and power and confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I feel like we've seen a resurgence of, but like because of recent movies. But if you think of like Americana and, and its impact, and in the back in the early film days, King Kong from the 1933 film King Kong. King Love Kong. Love me some King Kong. I mean the the American iconography, the idea of King Kong, the debates about even when I was a child, King Kong versus Godzilla. I mean, it was weird to think in, in 80s Texas, in early 90s Texas school, when we're on the playground and some of us are trying to get mad because we want to be King Kong and somebody else wants to be uh, wants to be King Kong. And no, no, I'm going to be this and King Kong's going to beat Godzilla. Mm-hmm. But uh, and maybe some of that might have been because at that time we had the uh, you know games like Donkey Kong and all that that maybe kind of linked some of that for people. Uh, also on this list, the alien from the 1970 film Alien. And I know you have a passion and for that particular film. I absolutely love Alien. It's such a great movie. The xenomorph terrifies the living shit out of me <laughs> to this day. The face hugger, I can't even stare at him for long. The fucking knuckles on those things make me want to just, like, I just, I can't do it. Well, let's just even just, like, take a second and think about the design, the the work that was done. And you're thinking, this is 1979. I mean, this is 40 now, oh my gosh, 43 years ago, 44, depending because things took longer production back then. The, the the work, I mean, making something like the Xenomorph and its like eternal presence as its silhouette, the things, the way, the way, the, 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 I mean, just the sleekness of its form in certain places. And just, yeah, it's, I mean, they, you know, they're liking it to the perfect organism. I mean, Giger was a fucking madman. And I love him for it, but also fuck him. Jesus Christ, man. That thing well, is. Wow. Well, no, I mean, because even as a child, um, seeing trailers for some of the sequels, and you just you get you get those points where you see the drooling mouth and the extension from it, and just the 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 the, the, the in, just the feeling of fear and anticipation for Ridley. Um, mm-hmm. Like Aliens also has a soft spot in my mind. I love it, but I don't think anything's gonna. You know, it depends. I guess I guess depends on the genre. Do I want to? You know, have existential dread and horror from the original alien or do i go to the action flick that is just beautifully well done regardless what a design well and i think it's funny the next one on the list is the predator from 1987 film predator and how these two have been linked so long in video games and film and things since i think it was was it predator 2 that at the very end and spoiler right here but i think it was some cast member decided to throw a xenomorph skull in the trophy room and ever since we've been wanting this this epic fight between the predator and the alien well, and, and we got it but well, and sometimes yeah. we see things get shoehorned together in film and, and, and tv so often but this made sense from the idea that these intergalactic hunters would have hunted a xenomorph at some point or another so and the last on the list that uh, was provided by uh, by AI Sage was Godzilla. Which if we got Frank, if, if we got uh, if we got King Kong, we gotta have Godzilla from the nineteen fifty four film Godzilla. Gotta um, have Godzilla. 
And as Sage continues, as he, she, it closes, all these monsters have played a significant role in shaping the horror and science fiction genres and have had a lasting cultural impact. And Sage isn't wrong. Sage, Sage is, is never wrong. Um, I like of, Sage. You know, and then some other ones, I just saw different answers. Like, there's some that were just typical. There's some that made me cringe where there are people, I don't know if they were being honest, but some of the answers were so, so long ago, I think they were being honest about the love of the vampires from Twilight and their sparkly, glittery goodness, which... Look, man, I, people enjoy what they want to enjoy. I'm not going to even shit on Twilight because for some people that was their gateway into a culture that maybe they could enjoy in different ways. I'd rather have bad submissions or things I don't think are good that get people into the culture than not than, than completely gatekeeping and saying it can't exist. But for, but despite saying that, despite saying that, my friend, fuck sparkly vampires. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Twinkle Tears. I should be. I'm about to marry someone that is absolutely loves those movies, but I'm I'm Bram Stoker all the way. Well, and you know, and, and, and the caveat being things that are that that of course Twilight's not the only piece of fiction done. I'm okay with daywalking vampires. Actually, when I think of their power and all that, I thought that was I as I think that as time has gone on, the limitation of the night has become a lot less uh, solvent for me. I felt like that would have been like something that over time vampires would have circumvented. There have been shows where this might be a piece of magical. There's something that causes them to be able to exist among humans. And in this era, it's a lot harder for people to get away with that though. Maybe not because, and they just call themselves Twitch streamers and that, that stream only at night or something and sleep all day. I mean, I, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, I guess, to get away with things now too. Little, uh, hidden vampires right before us who never uh, knew. Or, you know, they might not suck blood, but they definitely suck down energy drinks. But Jim Newgate actually says when asked, what is his favorite cryptid? Great question. And I might butcher the pronunciation, but it's Moreau Nago or the Inyadi Tiger. The situation regarding alleged surviving saber-toothed cats in Africa exactly parallels that of South America as well. The mountain-dwelling tigers, or he goes, Tigres de Montagne, or however, or the Inyadi Mountain Tigers are famous of Africa's supposed saber-tooths. These cats include... Indio, the Tigre de Monte of Chad itself, along with the the Hadio, the gas. The, the, there's a lot of words. I'm just going to stop trying to pronounce. But the, basically, the uh, cave lion of Mali, a striped long thing cat larger than a lion, and was formerly reported in Senegal's forests. Um, so essentially, for him, it was the idea of this very fascinating, like man eating giant tiger, essentially bigger than lions. Which, if you think about, it, like how large a lion is, how alarming that would be. But you know, get, making something that, that makes that dwarfs that in size, that would be kind of I alarming. Mean, what I like about that answer too is that it's like it's steeped in it could be a legit thing that could be real. Absolutely, you get some of these answers where, yeah, they're you know, mystical creatures, you have to kind of buy into the whole magic thing. But who's to say that up in some of these caves in some of these very, very remote areas? There could be this giant man-eater tiger still alive, small numbers, but it's that's I like that answer a lot. No, oh, and uh, to follow, Eduardo Mazato says he's going to give a few because there's so many, but he's going to give a couple. No particular order. One, the Wendigo, probably the scariest. It's a cannibalistic spirit of Native American folklore. It's truly feared by the Native peoples, especially during winter. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Wendigo is a great one. So. Wendigo is fantastic. Wendigo is, I mean, I do love how it's evolved into this 
a lot of people are familiar with the iconography of the deer skull with the antlers and the giant creature. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes it was kind of known as just like this dark evil force that overtook man as he consumed the flesh of his fellows. Right. It's, it's kind of that whole comes from that story of things you shouldn't do. And this is why you shouldn't do it. This is the boogeyman. And what <laughs> that's one hell of a boogeyman, man. Oh, well, and when you're talking about something that, that, is like oftentimes in its previous lore unseen and something that leads to what would appear to be a madness and and the fellow man and the things that go from there. Uh, Eduardo's second one was dogman and slash werewolves because he said whether it be cryptid dogman or the mythological werewolf, they're pretty much the epitome of what a monster should be. 100% agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. The darker half of man, the the beast within, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're, you know... They're monster through and through. Well, no, and, and some of these things will lead to themes that I, that I want to tackle later. And one of the ones you said is the monster within. The monster within us is men, whether it be that at least to like actual serial killers or possession or any number of things leading to, to some sort of shift. Now, his third and final one was one we've talked about recently, Mothman. He said, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, a really interesting story, an even more interesting monster. Apparently, he's now hanging around the Windy City. Um... Interesting. <laughs> I mean, the Mothman is one. I, I think that the well, the parts where they, they take it beyond the actual point pleasant myth and more into Mothman, like more of a harbinger of doom is a little bit more unnerving. But he's an interesting one because, I mean, growing up before the days of the Internet and stuff, I knew of the Mothman and saw him and stuff. But like, he, it's just it's really blown up. It's evolved over time. It's such an interesting mythos. No, absolutely. Um, now, and I didn't, this person didn't have, a, not, not everyone on core has a last name, nor do I, does it matter. But Sandra says their favorite cryptid has to be the Mongolian death worm, primarily because of its name, which sounds like a fantastic lethal creature that might be found in a 1950s pulp science fiction novel. She also says that in the Mongolian language, its name is Olugoy Koroke or whatever butchered thing I'm giving it which is the even better meaning of large intestinal worm, but this four-foot-long subterranean baby is more like a giant earthworm than a paltry parasitic infection. It apparently lives beneath the sands of the southern Gobi Desert, only coming up to the surface in the warmer summer months when, when the ground becomes too wet for it to survive. Mongolians believe that touching any part of this worm will cause almost instant death and tremendous pain. According to the legend, the dreaded Mongolian death worm can kill in several fearsome ways, including spitting a stream of corrosive venom that is lethal to anything it hits, and if it doesn't do the trick, it is said to be able to electrocute its victims from a distance, and it's also told the worm frequently preys on camels and lays eggs in their intestines. Interestingly enough, J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit, provides a fleeting reference, namely the the wild wereworms in the last desert in the early drafts of the book in 1932-1932. He specifically associated these wereworms with the great desert of Gobi. Dude, are you kidding? That sounds like... Um, Congratulations. Congratulations, Sandra. You have given us the most metal answer anyone could provide and have inspired me. So if I ever decide to pick up an instrument and start my own band... I will be calling it the Mongolian death worm. Thank Mon- you for that. Mongolian death worm. <sighs> no, uh, dude, I, I wanted to end with this one because an upcoming episode I want to talk to is things that actually scare, like not just what enthrall us. There's a lot of this about what we love about monsters, what we celebrate, what we connect with, but 
we're talking really we're also talking in this subject space about horror things that are shittily fucking unnervingly scary and the idea of encountering one of these things and it's spitting a corrosive <laughs> stream of acid electrocuting me or getting into me and laying eggs into my intestines is absolutely fucking frightening i mean i do love a good creature that basically is pick your destroyer i love it that's what a name i'm mongolian deathworm all right sorry uh skinwalker you got a runner you got someone <laughs> that might take your place oh man and as we get near to close like i, I want anyone who does want to comment and, and 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 leave feedback i am curious about learning about what other people are into is it something that is obvious and cultural like me where i'm, I'm a i'm a simple lad with simple loves for my my lycanthropy my love of dragons and things like that. While there are so many things I enjoy in the fringes of the darkness for myself personally, the things I love the most are sometimes on the nose, but just sometimes interesting subversions of them. However, what I want to tackle is what we are really truly are scared of. For me, I want to dive and get deeper into things like what's within the earth or what's under the sea. When you had me, when you talked about reading Ted, the caver and you think about what could exist inside the actual earth or for us as sailors and people who have thought of nautical things, this, this we're always looking up and talking about aliens and things through so much of our history. But what about the, the things in the deep? And I'm not talking about Megalodon and things like that. I'm talking about like things that can survive the crushing depths. And if they ever emerge, what would they cause? And, and very likely to be real, the things that can exist in those spaces. Like, what kind of things terrify you, Brendan Hess, without getting deep into it? Oh, so that's a that's a good question. Uh, how existential dread? I knew it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here over sweating bullets. So Ingle gets married in a few weeks, so uh, <laughs> anything going wrong before the wedding definitely among his top fears. Uh, yeah, I will. I will say, upsetting my future bride is probably fear number one. But no, 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 that is a, no, 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 this isn't kidding. <laughs> I've been married nearly 15 years to my, you know, one of my spouse's nicknames, as you well know, is the beast. We even talked about if she joined in to contribute. I'm like, I mean, we don't have to even give you a, a, a moniker. You've been, you've been, you've been christened the beast for 15 years by others. Like, she can't not go with it. She has to go with it. So no, you fear and respect your spouse. My, my, my spouse might be only five foot two and, and a little person, but she's mighty and frightening and to be revered and and feared so no no but beyond beyond the spouse what were you gonna say so i don't necessarily suffer from philosophobia but <laughs> sorry the deep, the deep ocean there's something so terrifying about it that really stitches out on the unknown when you start looking into the blue water and it gets darker and darker and you feel like is there something watching you on the you know just out of sight just out of vision that the idea of that is just horrifying. Well, no, I mean, because I, so you don't realize how how small you are until, for us, like when we went to on our boat one year, went swimming out there, and you look underwater and you see the size of the boat, but then you see this massive ocean underneath it, and what's out there? What are, are the things we haven't seen? All the unexplored. The idea of that, it's mind blowing, and it gives me the chills. Well, no, and I, I think when you talk about feeling small, it's because I can remember what it was like running around the woods sometimes in uncomfortable times as a child. And there's that f feeling of unnerved fear, but I'm on land where I belong. I might not be in a forest or a place where I belong. There may be something wrong that might that makes me feel like there's an awareness and a fear. 
but there's something about being a human in a place you truly don't belong in the depths of the ocean and how vulnerable you are floating there, whether you be on a boat, swimming, or any number of things. Sure, there are, there are things that horrify me like Jaws and other things we can talk about in the future episode, but the truth is it's not the things I know that are there. Those are already scary the fuck enough. It's the stuff that mm-hmm. I know that I fear is deeper below. And what come, what, what becomes the time when one of those things comes up to say hello? So, <laughs> Right. Dude. What if we have some tectonic shift and something gets released? Or in the ice, like when things melt in the ice, you know, like the different polar ice caps and things like that. A Coast Guard vessel breaking ice on <laughs> Earth. Some of the theories that come out from, there's things frozen up there in the Arctic that as we start dealing with ice caps melting, something getting released. And mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean I'm not even talking necessarily about like some massive creature, but even something small, some microorganism that wipes us out. Oh no. Like in those, that, so, so there's, there's a little bit of existential dread in those kind of things because there are things oh, that, that even people might've developed an immunity to once upon a time, or that was plague like that we don't have necessarily built into us. I mean, I often even think when they talk about time travel, how going back in time literally could kill everyone around you. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's those those hundreds of those stories talking about scientists stepping out of the time machine and crushing a butterfly that for some reason further down the line is what created the catalyst of the human race being developed and because of that one event we all just blip from existence. <laughs> it, it it it's amazing the uh, the the ties that the butterfly effect of such things could have. But with that though those are things I think left to, to one of the next episodes when we do dive deeper into those things that that absolutely unnerve us. But I appreciate you taking the time in Ghoul to to share your passions, your connections with monsters, um, for being a fellow gloom guide. For those who don't are the food understand, while we are here to guide you, we ourselves don't think that we're the only guides. We feel that we're sharing the space with you, much like Boy Scouts, Eagle Scouts, and things. We are all initiated in learning and being practitioners of guiding others through the darkness and to the other side safely to to enjoy to document to share in the worth and wealth of what we have here both whether you think it's fiction or fact it doesn't matter because we can all enjoy it we can all come together and again inkle thank you so much for being here my friend thank you for having me i this is fun we'll definitely have to do it again because yeah if we're going to talk spooky let's talk spooky well and with that my friend it's time to play some games and to oh, everyone, yeah. oh yeah, brother. And to everyone else, thanks and take care. And we'll see you on the other side.